everyone. Welcome to Open Conversations, a podcast for Orleans Public Education Network, where we discuss issues of equity and justice in public education. My name is Nalia Weber. I'm the Executive Director of Open, and I'm very pleased to be co-hosting this chat with Ty Salvent, who is a founder, uh, one of the founders of NOLA Homeschoolers, which is a local um, homeschooling group um, in Louisiana um, that works with um, families who um, have ex- who are exploring and taking advantage of independent um, learning options. This topic is very timely now, um, given the time that we're in, um, and Ty will be able to speak more to this, but for a host of reasons, and mostly because of the uh, national pandemic that we're going through right now, more families are considering independent schooling options. And we wanted to have this conversation to be a resource to parents, students, and teachers, really anyone about how to do this well, so that while our children are learning differently, their education is not um, being jeopardized in any way. So thank you very much, Ty, for joining us. Please uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about NOLA Homeschoolers. Absolutely. So I am Ty Salvant. That's a conversation for another day. Um, And I have six children. Um, They are 18, 17, 15, 12, 10, and 19 months. I have to do them in in stages, right, to get the numbers right. Um, And I've always homeschooled. Um, About 10 years ago, I created NOLA Homeschoolers as a resource for area homeschoolers to share information, and it has grown over the years with the needs of the community. So in the beginning, it really was just an online resource, and then we added field trips and workshops and activities and now parent meetings, um, really to just grow again and, like I said, meet the needs of the local community. That's wonderful. Um, we, we'll get into Thursday, the fact that you've always homeschooled and you've homeschooled your six children through the entire course. We're talking about preschool through college. It, well, college in terms of that's where they went afterwards. And so we'll talk more about that on Thursday. Um, but thank you for that introduction. You know, we, I really wanted to have this conversation. You and I have spoken about this um, earlier um, in the pandemic when schools kind of first shut down. And we were like, hmm. Uh, people are confusing this kind of pandemic schooling with homeschooling and it's putting a bad taste in their mouth. And um, we, we had talked before about, you know, kind of breaking down some of those myths and how it would be a service to the community to give them very clear information so that they can feel empowered and do something about their child's education rather than feeling like schooling was something that was being done to them. So I'm really excited um, about having this conversation today. You know, schools are opening back up this week. I saw a little boy earlier with a little uniform walking somewhere with his mom. Um, So this is uh, very timely and parents are still trying to figure out um, what is best for their children given the situation. So let's dive in. And first, let's talk about what is distance and virtual learning. Um, We have a, a lot of different definitions that are floating around out there, but they are very specific and distinct things. Um, I have the technical definition, which I'll share first, but then I'll, I'll love for you to expand on that. Um, so distance learning and virtual learning are actually not the same thing. Um, the virtual learning part is really used as a supplemental learning um, strategy to in-person learning. So usually there's some in-person learning and the teacher also then uses um, technology um, 
to expand on what's happening in the classroom and allow the young people um, in that classroom to um, have access to materials in different ways. So virtual learning, it supplements what happens in a face-to-face -face kind of in-person learning environment, whereas distance learning is completely remote, right? There is no in-person anything. <laughs> Everything is done online um, using a variety of um, learning platforms and um, communication channels. And so when you're doing it this year, I think it's just really important to be aware of those distinctions, um, that if you're not going to be sending your child into the school at all, you are participating in distance learning and your needs may be different than if you plan on sending your child to school um, for part of the week and keeping them home for the other part of the week. Ty, can you expand a little bit more on that? Right. So I think that another way for us to look at this to make it make more sense is that if you are taking an online course in college, that would be distance learning. Right. So I think that some of us are more familiar with that um, than using those terms interchangeably um, and trying to figure out how it relates to our children. Um, whereas, again, like you said, with the with the virtual learning that that was that's been going on for for years in schools right mm -hmm. where the kids have used devices to watch a video or to have a video chat with students from a, another country um in a different language right? right so again they do pose um you know they have different um levels of success and and failure, so to speak. They pose some slightly different challenges. Some may require um, more or less supervision and or assistance from parents at home. Right. Um, so I do think, and I thank you for um, just clarifying that to make sure that we're all talking about the same thing and using the same terminology. Right, right. And those two learning styles, those teaching and learning styles, they come with their own kind of sort of pros and cons, right? Um, you know, I was reading somewhere that like distance learning, for example, where it, there's no in-person interaction, um, that's better for older students, right? We're talking about high school and up. And so when I hear from parents who um, have younger children and like I'm not sending my child into the school building at all um, I mean that's fine that's their choice um, but just to understand that a complete 100% distance learning model may not be the best for a very young person um, and so those interactions will still need to be provided in some way if not from the teacher then those interactions will have to be provided from somebody else in the homes just to kind of be um, prepared for that. Yeah, so that would be where um, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, cousin comes in and assists with that learning. So even if the child is, even if it's all distance learning um, and they are, you know, on the computer for an hour and off the computer for an hour, that there is um, interaction between like where the kids are playing or there's conversation that's happening during this off times. But even when the child, even at a very young child is on the computer doing distance learning, ideally you will have somebody who is right there who is able to um, assist and redirect when needed, 
right? Or re-engage because it's very easy. I mean, and honestly, we all get distracted. It's very easy for us to start off working on this report and then there's a ding. And so then we go check our email, right? right? right. Or where the child, you know, third grader is like intent, like they start off thinking, okay, I am going to do this history paper, whatever I'm, I'm working on. But then I see like my friend is online now. So now I'm tempted to go log on. And if there's nobody there to assist and redirect, then I mean, that's where I think that we can start to have some problems. Right, right. And we'll talk very soon about like the scheduling of this and how to and how diverse families um, and different family structures can take advantage of these different teaching and learning opportunities. I do want to add this piece, though, um, about how, you know, distance learning and virtual learning, they are not the same as in-class learning, right, (laughs) at all. And I think that what we're seeing a bit of what I'm hearing um, parents talk about is like, you know, a lot of the struggles that they had was trying to replicate the in-person model at their house (laughs) Um, earlier um, in the, in the school year, well, a few months ago, but later in the school year. And that is kind of like the recipe for disaster because they're not in a classroom with the teacher following that schedule. They're in their home. So can we transition a little bit to talk about what an appropriate or, um, or at least a, yeah, I would say appropriate, a more appropriate schedule will look like for these kind of learning models and how they differ from what a child might experience in a school building. So when the child is engaged online, some of that is going to depend on how the the teachers are choosing to engage. So some teachers will actually kind of have a conversation like we are having right now between you and I, and will ask the students questions and, and provide information and the kids get to talk to each other and hear from each other. Um, So, I do think that more schools are switching to that sort of model than they did a few months ago, right? When it was kind of thrown together last minute, let's come up with a plan mm-hmm. F that nobody was was prepared for. And unfortunately, there were schools who were, some did it extremely well and others dropped the ball. And there was kind of everything everywhere in between. Whereas they schools had an opportunity to, um, Kind of, you know, get their act together, get the teachers um, trained and looking at different ideas on ways to engage kids of all ages in these types of settings so mm-hmm. that they can do that. Um, and I do think that, right, it is definitely, you know, we have to be mindful of what will happen at school versus home, even as far as distractibility. Right. 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 So when you're in the classroom, it's, you know, 50, 20 of your peers who are all focused on the same thing and they don't have the, their baby sister crying or the telephone ringing or the television off. So there are certainly things that, that we can do as parents to make the situation as, um, as good as we can. And so that would be right. So we can't watch TV in the same room that the kids are supposed to be learning in. Yeah that's just really hard and if um so if we have to get creative as parents and figure out 
how to make that happen, whether the little sister gets the tablet and gets to go in the other room while the other kids are, are actively learning, that's what we need to do so that this child isn't distracted and pulled away from um, trying to focus and get their work done. Right. And so it's a, it's a, it's a full household effort is what I'm hearing you say, right? Even if there's one person in the household that's attending school, the other adults in that um, household then have to also accommodate this new way of being with each other so that they can focus. So identifying a space where it you know, concentrated learning happens and in other spaces where perhaps independent learning can happen. You can go read on your bed, right? Yes. But when it's time to, you know, log in to Google Classrooms and have this lesson with Miss Smith, um, there's a section in the house where you're able to do that and everybody understands that that's a quiet space where you can, where you can do that. Um, so it's a full family effort. We're going to talk about this later because you've said this to me before, like when people think of homeschool, they think of one parent in the house with their kids all day doing school. And you said, you know, I've never done homeschooling outside of a community. Mm -hmm. There's always been a community that, uh, of folks that I've worked with um, to, to homeschool my children. And so the community, the first community is the family unit, um, the household unit, and then it expands to other families um, who are um, integrated into this as well. Can you share just for, as an example, like what a schedule um, might look like in elementary school, maybe like a fourth grader or a fifth grader, like what times would one start? What would some of those break times look like? And, you know, what time would school end? Right. And so that is going to be completely different for the homeschool section that we will talk about on Thursday than a distance school learning. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, with this distance schooling, so schools are sending schedules to parents to let them know what that looks like. I've seen a few that um, actually made a lot of sense to me. It was, you know, get up at this time in the morning. And like the intent is to create a structure and put kids in the, the right frame of mind for I'm still at home, but I am learning, right? And so they're giving them a time to, to log in. Um, the ones that I have seen done well, they offer time for computer time where they're being instructed by a teacher followed by anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes of time off offline. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it will say, go have a snack, go like do some jumping jacks. Let's get some active play in. Why don't you get a game and play or read a book? And then you come back on at 10 o'clock. Um, and then you would do another half an hour or, you know, 45 minute stretch of learning virtually or through distance learning with your teacher. And then you would end up going, like, logging off again, having lunch, um, having another break, maybe going for a walk. So there is time in there built in for things that need to happen, right? right? So it right. would be completely unrealistic to say that your child is expected to be here from eight o'clock in the morning until three o'clock in the afternoon with only one 15 minute break for food. Right. That's right. not many right. adults can do that. Right. I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. 
right. And, you know, this, there's still this issue of screen time, right? And what that does to your eyes, what that does to your brain functioning and all of that. And so excessive screen time for anyone is not good, children especially so. And so if anyone is seeing, the, you know, a schedule come to them where it looks like your child's spending a lot of time in front of the computer, um, please push back on that. Um, I do want to say that, you know, what we often do is we kind of appeal to authority um, in issues around school, right? Like I'm going to defer to the teacher, I'm going to defer to the principal. But this is a completely new landscape where no one is an expert. So parents, you're coming into this um, as equal in authority and power as well. And I really want parents to step into and leverage their power and push back on things that don't feel right and just say, hey, can we work something else out? I'm seeing that my child is expected to sit in a 45-minute session and they're eight years old right in front of this computer. And I don't think that that's going to be the best for my child or anybody else's child. What can we work out? And so just be you know, um, be open to and be empowered to um, have those conversations with teachers and um, instructional coaches or whoever you have contact with about your child's schedule, um, when activities are scheduled and how much time they're spending in front of the screen. Um, And I also want to um, add this. Often when we think about the schedule, we're thinking about, all right, we have this block of time to do an activity and then we're going to have a break right? Like how you just described. Um, One thing that we also have to consider is what the child is doing within that block of time, right? So a young child, for example, should not be sitting through a 45-minute lecture where they're just expected to focus on one thing for 45 minutes. Um, So I would check the activities themselves, how those lessons are broken down, Um, to see if there is um, variability in what that child is expected to do during that lesson. Are we talking to our peers for a couple of minutes? Um, Are we working independently for a couple of minutes? Are we playing a game for a couple of minutes? There should be variation in that block of time as well, as is appropriate for um, their different age and developmental stage. Um, Which brings me to our uh, next uh, topic, which is you know, practices and what is appropriate for young people um, in these learning environments. And can you just talk a little bit about like what works for younger kids versus older kids um, and what doesn't work uh, for them in virtual and distance learning spaces? Right. So definitely younger kids need more hands-on activities, right? And so there are ways that um, hopefully schools are incorporating that into their plans for um, for families, whether they are sending home a, a packet or envelope of information where if we're working on shapes that, right, the child can go through and, you know, find the circle on the screen, but then they can say, oh, well, like, in your envelope that you had, go through there and look for the shapes and find a circle and hold a circle up for me. So that again, even though they might be on for this time, they're not like sitting here staring at a screen the entire time. Or they could, you know, kind of front load and tell parents, hey, we're working on this lesson and we are going to be identifying our colors. And so we need to find three blue things. So can you have three blue things and a 
10 foot radius of the child so that they are actively getting up and running to the table and looking under the chair and finding a blue thing to come back and show everybody and they get to tell everybody what their favorite blue thing is. Right. Right. So, so definitely the younger kids need to have just more um, opportunities to not only engage as opposed to just listening to something, but to actively go through and, and something and make it more of like a show and tell um, that not only engages them and makes it fun to learn, right, but also keeps them from just like zoning out in front of the computer screen. Right. And what about like older um, kids? I mean, though, if you're 15, 16 years old, you can technically sit in front of a computer screen for 45 minutes. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be like, you know, interested in the topic and on task that entire time. So you have experience working with older, older um, children in a, you know, in an independent setting. What are some of the things that will work for, you know, a teenager doing this? Right. So, and this is definitely, I mean, it depends on the age, the maturity level and independence of the, of the kids that you're working with and their, um, access to certain devices, right? So one of the things that, you know, I would highly recommend in the very beginning is setting up your computers for your kids near you, right? So they don't have to be sitting in the same row with you, but I know that for periodically, we will have computers set up, like there's something in the library where the librarian can see everybody's computer screen. They mm-hmm. could be 10, 20 feet away from me, but I can see everybody's screens. So then I can redirect if necessary um, and remind them not to get on this game or um, give them time to build in. Okay, so you have 45 minutes of this activity and then you get 20 minutes to play this game or 30 minutes to go and go play basketball or do something else. So honestly, I mean, they need incentives. Some of the same way that we need incentives when we're working too, right? It's like, okay, once I finish this report, I can go get my coffee. Once I do this part, then I can go and do that. And so, you know, all of these things, all of these life skills that we give having an opportunity to learn now are things that will serve them well for later. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we often talk about that, um, that, the way that in-person schooling is set up is not the way college classrooms are set up or adult working spaces, right? I've been in meetings full adults. People are pulling out their phone, checking something real quick, stepping out to take a phone call. They're on Amazon while they're taking notes. And, you know, the work happens. Um, people are paying attention. The work gets done. Um, no one, unless it becomes a major distraction, no one's being called to, you know, pulled to the side by their supervisor. And so I think that there is an opportunity in, in an opportunity here um, for young folks to practice being in the settings that they will be in um, as adults in their professional spaces without punishment. Um, like I like redirecting rather than punishing someone. Um, a lot of the things that we tend to like, you know, write kids up for detention for are things that are just really not that serious that adults do. And so um, I see this as an opportunity for kids to 
practice being adults, which is what we want them to do. We want them to practice being in these settings um, and know how to navigate um, without there being like this punitive um, element to it. And for us to not hold up like this kind of false idea about what it means <laughs> um, to, to be on task in a group setting. So I welcome that. I mean, it takes, take a little bit of work, but I, I welcome that for our young people. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, this piece around making sure that to the extent possible that our environments are appropriate for children, what we're setting up for them is appropriate for them. Um, and often when we talk about, um, you know, catering to the child, we talk about learning styles um, and how children learn differently or they have, um, or they prefer to learn a particular way depending on what it is. Can you share with parents, um, how do they navigate um, especially if there's more than one child in the home, um, you know, keeping them engaged in the work um, that is assigned to them um, in a distance or virtual setting, um, but also honoring who they are as learners. I'm sure that's something that you've had to navigate with the multiple children that you have taught independently. <laughs> Yes. So a couple of things here. One, I would find out from the teacher what absolutely has to be done online versus what can be done offline and uploaded. Right. Okay. I mean, everything doesn't have to be done that way. So if there is a whatever program that they're using, if there is a worksheet that the child can go through and complete and then you just scan it in and upload it. So the teacher still has that information. I would certainly see if that's an option. If there are um, games that you can end up playing that are going to end up serving the same purpose. So if you are working on um, subtraction, one of my favorite games to do that is to play Uno and everybody starts with 500 points, right? You make everybody take score where they're having fun playing the game and taking score as it goes along. So they're working on their subtraction right? And, and they're having fun while they're doing it. Exactly. So I would, again, find out from the teacher, okay, so with this lesson, how can we do something that is going to be more engaging to my child? Mm -hmm. So I can show that they have mastered this, they've done the work, mm -hmm. um, but we've done it in a way that, again, is more engaging, interacting, or the fact that I have four kids working on the same thing at the same time, mm -hmm. instead of them all doing it that way, can we do it this way instead? Right. So I'd be, right. you know, curious about that, um, just as well as, so what happens when you have internet issues, right? Like, we all have internet issues, like that. <laughs> Right. There, there's always some sort of, you know, glitch or something in the system. Um, so to find out if there's some flexibility in the time also that they have to be online. Um, are the sessions recorded to where we could have everybody sit down and learn nouns together as opposed to three different kids at three different times learning the same thing? Um, so those are certainly some of the questions that I would be posing to to the teachers um, as we move forward. Right. So what I'm hearing is um, be clear on the goals, like what is absolutely necessary in this moment. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. 
Is it that my child learns um, that two plus two equals four or that they learn a particular way of coming to that answer, right? Um, so to make sure that you understand what is being asked of the young person. And then from there, you can have a conversation about, all right, well, how is it that I can get you the information that you need to know that my child is, um, is making progress and is mm -hmm. on track in these areas and mm -hmm. looking for areas where you can um, insert other ways to get to that goal. And kids love games. <laughs> um, so that's always, um, that's always a, a, an option there. Also, if there are multiple children um, in the household who are doing this, seeing where there are intersections in their learning. Um, I used to teach um, ELA, and I would have kids at different, you know, quote unquote, reading levels. And so I definitely taught a pair of siblings where the younger sibling in the fifth grade was at a higher reading level than the sibling that was older than her in the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And so if they were in a, in a home setting doing this, there would really be no reason why they couldn't do their reading together. Right. It's not like their reading levels were so far apart. And it's not like the fifth grader was reading on a second grade level and the sixth grader was like, they weren't so far apart. So we really could bring them together um, to do that, which would make it easier for families to be able to navigate this rather than trying to hold four different classes <laughs> at the same time. Um, and also, this is something that we do, um, and I think we sometimes we often take it for granted, but leveraging older siblings. Like I was my brother's homework helper when, when I was younger. Um, I was, I'm the, I was, I'm the only oldest child in my family and I was anywhere between six and 11 years older than my brothers. And so my mother didn't need a tutor. She had me. And when I was done with my homework, <laughs> I went and I helped them with their homework. And so leveraging other family members to enhance that learning experience mm -hmm. um, as well. Um, so we're talking about ideal settings where, you know, you get a schedule, kids are doing the work, got a quiet place, a structured environment. But we know <laughs> <laughs> at home, just like in class, it's very rarely an ideal situation or something is a hiccup somewhere mm -hmm. and the biggest hiccup in all of this is the child doesn't want to do the work right mm -hmm. how um how would you say you know parents can be supported um in you know working with their child when the child doesn't want to do the work or they're just not feeling it that day so i like to say that we all have bad days mm -hmm. or off days where we just aren't feeling it um, I would be curious as to find out. So there are two things. So one, if a child is physically sick, like what happens then when they can't log in because again, they're too sick to get out of bed or, or they can get out of bed, but they're taking medicine. And so they're kind of lethargic and not paying attention to the screen anyway. So is that really helping them? Right? So let's look at that and ask questions about how that's going to be handled versus honestly kind of needing a mental health day um, and not being able to, to get the work done there. I think that that's also where you can end up finding out, like you mentioned earlier, um, as a follow-up, well, like, what's the goal here, right? Because if the goal is for 
my child to read this information because they are working on um, writing a book report on this. Well, can we do an audio book instead? Because the purpose is him accessing the information and synthesizing it to create this, this report, right? Mm -hmm. um, because that he can do while he's jumping on a trampoline or while he's doing something else and is more, um, you know, kind of focused or redirected into a way to where he's still getting the information, but just not in the same method that other people are, are taking it in at that time. Yeah. Um, I would say one of the other things that we end up doing, and this is certainly where it helps knowing the time frame that you have to actually be on there is what if we just push the day back two hours, right? So like at eight o'clock in the morning, yes, he's there, but I can see that he's not grasping anything. But by the time that we take a lunch break and I ask him these questions, he's got it. So is there a way for us to accommodate that and help him when he's ready? And as parents, I think that honestly, mental health days are important, right? So I think that we say, okay, like, bud, over the six weeks, let's, let's plan for one mental health day. We can also use weekends, right? So in my house for a long time, we ended up getting work done on weekends. And for us, it was easier because my husband was home. And he could take the baby while I could focus with the older kids and, and really get some good work time in there. So we would have some amazing stints of time that were very productive that would have been much harder for us to do when it was me with multiple kids and the baby at the time. Yeah, I appreciate um, what you shared there. Um, the first part about like when a, a young person can learn. Again, I think we get kind of so stuck in well, we work from nine to five and kids go to school from eight to three. And so it always has to look like that. It was interesting. I was reading a, a, an article in Forbes of all places. And um, I, they were talking about families who pursued independent schooling like you did for the duration of their child's K through 12 experience and how they were doing it. Um, and one of the things that they said was like, there's a lot of time in a week other than eight to three, right? Um, and they gave an example of kids learning later in the day, going into early evening, and like you said, the weekends. Um, they also mentioned that, you know, school days are longer because of a lot of other things that are happening in the school building. You have transitions, you have classroom management, you have all these things going on, and that adds time to the lesson. Whereas, during, you know, while they're at home, you probably only need about four hours or so of that day um, to do that work. And when I had that experience in the 11th grade where I was learning from home, that was absolutely the facts. Like we were not, my brothers and I were not <laughs> learning from eight to three. That did not happen, but we were definitely learning. So parents, you know, do know that you can be flexible with that schedule. Mm -hmm. And you know, you don't have to set up a situation where, you know, you were fighting before to get them to school and now you're fighting to replicate school in your home. If you have a young person at home that doesn't want to start school at 8 a.m., it's not the end of the world. They can start school at 9.30. They can start school at 10, right? Um, so just be mindful that there's more, you know, 
allow your family to be flexible. Um, and I think that will probably decrease a lot of the tensions and make this a smoother ride for everyone involved. And of course, like if you're working with the school, they are going to have a set schedule. Um, I would still see um, where there's opportunities for flexibility, like you said, and also get a copy of the policies. Um, what does um, being absent look like when you are learning from home? You know, what does that look like and what does that mean in the context of all of this? Um, so get a copy of those policies, understand what the expectations are, um, should you choose to do that, but also don't be afraid to, again, we're all new to this. No one here is an expert and you have power over how your child um, gets through this. Um, don't be afraid to have those conversations with teachers and leadership about opportunities to make accommodations um, where your child needs it. And speaking of accommodations, you brought it up first. I wanted to just take a, a short little time here to talk very quickly about special education accommodations. Um, I had a great conversation with a friend in special education um, advocate, Brittany Robbins, who is the founder of Bright Minds NOLA that advocates with families for their special education needs. And um, I asked her, I was like, so how does special education work in distance learning or virtual learning? And she shared, um, you know, in New Orleans and our public school system, because our schools um, all don't operate under a uniform code, mm -hmm. certain things um, are different depending on the school, but there are some things that uh, are consistent across school because it's by law. Um, and, you know, one is that all of your child's accommodations uh, are required. If you select for your child to um, learn from home, do the distance learning option, and they have an IEP or a 504 plan, um, those accommodations still have to be honored. Um, you have the right to virtual services, and um, you will probably need to sign a consent form, though, to receive those services virtually. Um, so just look out for that. Request that if you um, haven't already. Um, schools cannot require your child to attend school in person in order to receive their services, right? So you have the right to virtual services. And the schools will have to provide you with a detailed plan of what those accommodations will look like in a distance uh, uh, virtual format. So they'll have to tell you, all right, you know, your child usually gets pulled out for reading. Um, and this is what this is going to look like on Google Classrooms and these are the days and um, just so that you can be aware of that. Um, and then the last part is um, that there are HIPAA compliant um, platforms um, that you should be able to have access to to make sure that while your child is receiving those services that their um, medical and civil rights are not being violated. Mm -hmm. So if you are a parent um, and you are opted for the um, virtual learning uh, um, option this semester, then um, please get in contact with your child's school special education team, um, get that consent form, and um, get that detailed plan about how your child's IEP and 504 accommodations will be met while you're at home. Um, the last thing I'll say about that is you, you can request that some of those services are um, delivered to your home, but the schools do not have an obligation 
permission to do that. So um, I wouldn't expect, you know, the speech therapist to come to your house and um, support your child individually. It's probably not going to go down like that. Um, but you, but you are a parent, and uh, if you want to request that, you can. And as always, you can secure um, private um, services if um, you have access to that. Um, but don't think that because you're um, at home that anything changes with your child's IEP. It does not. Um, all right. So I just wanted to get that out just to make sure that our, our students who um, need their special education services continue to receive them. And let's get into um, a bit about supporting diverse families. This is actually the biggest part of this, right? We have families that have students with special needs. We have families where there are two or more adults in the home. We have families where there is one adult, one caretaker in the home. Um, we have families that can work from home. We have families that are essential workers and they must leave the home. How can we support these families? Because what we do know is um, it is indeed the diverse families that make up a large portion of the um, families in our public school system. So how can we make this work um, for them? Uh, what are some considerations um, that they can be thinking about so that they can take advantage of this option if that's what they want to do? Right. So I think that you started with even talking about leveraging older siblings, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that doesn't have to be a necessarily right there, older, older brother or sister. I mean, like we have tons of cousins in our families, right? To where this cousin can come in and desist. Um, so right now I would be really exploring all of these options. Um, think about your, not just your, you know, family structure, but then your, your friend network as well, where you may be able to partner up or pair with somebody with a group of families. Um, there are a lot of, you know, these, these pods that are coming up now. Right. And, um, those are those are great for families who can afford them, but there are some families who can't afford to to outsource that. So I would certainly end up saying one option would be to consider creating your own little network like that, um, where you get together with a few trusted friends who are um, be mindful of everybody's sensitivity um, to. Um, just, just aware of their um, comfortability, I suppose, with COVID restrictions or lack thereof, right? And, and I mean, that's certainly something that we should be keeping top of mind with all of this. So we can't expect our, you know, aunt who's, who's at home, who has the time to do it, who's also diabetic, to be able to come in and work with kids when we know that mom or dad is an essential worker and is working at a hospital and therefore making their kids kind of more high risk, right? So we can't expect other people to put their health on the line to help us. Having said that, we can get together with our other coworkers and say, hey, look, we all have kids that are between the second and fourth grade. You know, we each have one day of the week off. Can we rotate those days and end up creating our own little network where we're getting this done? Um, clearly, if you end up doing that, I mean, there are logistics that come in play. Everything from what about if the kids don't get along with each other? 
right? Or what about um, the internet got too slow because they had too many computers on at one time. So there are some logistics that you need to think through and, and come up with that. I don't want you to think that there's, there's not like a, a, a magic bullet to any of these. A lot of this is going to be trial and error and you're going to have to spend time um, with some other families kind of figuring these things out, figuring out say the best house to do this at. Um, you can end up bartering services, right? Like, I am a mechanic, you need your car fixed. You can, you know, watch my kid two days a week and I'll fix your car and this is an even trade for us. Um, so I think especially when we look at the, um, the makeup of, you, like you said, a lot of the students that are in our schools, we also have to like think back on the creativity that we have, right? On the ways that, again, a single mom has to leverage um, a neighbor or a friend to pick up the child because she's at work is the same way that we can end up leveraging, okay, you know what, I'll go do all your grocery shopping for you and I'll take care of running these errands and you have my kid from this time to this time to make sure that they are, you know, on the computer while I'm at work. Right. So I'm hearing a lot of things in there that I completely agree with, which is don't go at this alone. You don't have to. Um, there are a lot of, um, you know, young people in the school system um, where there's community there. Um, and then there's also the community where you live. There's a community where you, where you work. There's a community where you worship. Um, and so, and it's your, your friend group. So, you know, the advice would be to don't do this alone. I mean, unless you can. Um, but even if you can, why, right? <laughs> exactly. That's not ideal, right? <laughs> you need a break, right? Mm -hmm. um, even if you are a parent that can work from home, you're still going to need a break um, from, from managing your job and managing the task of working with your young person. And we have so much, um, you know, richness and depth in our, com in our communities and on our block, right? If I needed, you know, there's, you know, there's, like you said, there's mechanics on my street. There are gardeners on my street. There are elders on my street. And if you know the folks in your neighborhood, um, they may not be the person that's teaching your child math, but they can be the person to provide some supervision while your child is working independently on something else. And then you do the math later, right? So just kind of getting creative um, and doing what we do. We already rely on community for a lot of what we do. We rely on our families and our extended um, familial networks to, to get through and, and helping and we help each other work out the logistics. Right. Um, and there will be logistics. Um, I'm not really sure what the policies are. Again, they're going to change from school to school, but there will be the logistics around internet access and technology access. Um, and I would say to that point, you know, advocate, um, even if you, if the school has an in-person option and you choose to do distance learning, I don't think that takes them off the hook to providing your child with the technology to do that work. Um, so going back to the school and saying, you know, can we continue to use this computer that we used last year? Um, and, you know, if, if you don't have the computer to lend to my child, then what do you have and how are you going to help um, close this gap? Because we don't want there to be larger equity gaps as a result of this. Um, so definitely um, working um, with the community. I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more on Thursday, um, but you have a community 
of folks that come together and share some of those responsibilities. Can you share like a little bit what that would look like in a distance learning type of setup? Absolutely. So, right, we come together and we co-teach each other's kids. So we pick the subjects that we are stronger in and or have a passion for or interest in. And you teach that and our kids are broken up into grade clusters. So we may have, you know, like our pre-K and kindergartners together, first and second graders, third through fifth graders, based on the number of kids that are in that cluster and go through this material together. So um, it can work very well. Again, it has its challenges. So I don't want anybody to think that, oh my gosh, we're gonna do this and it's gonna be perfect. And no, I mean, it, it really is. You're gonna have one kid who, who says, no, I'm not doing that. Or while you're like, okay, everybody, so like, what's this letter? And somebody else is like, banana. And you're like, okay, wait a minute, what's going on, right? Um, so there are some logistics that, that need to be worked out. And again, as parents, you have to know who you're trusting your kid with. Is this somebody who's going to scream and yell at your kid? Is this somebody who's going to curse at your kid? Is this somebody who's going to belittle your kid in front of somebody else, right? And those are a whole bunch of other issues that you're going to have to deal with. So these are all of the things that I, and I implore you, these conversations to have, these questions to ask to make sure that when you do create this, this network, this environment with your um, friends or coworkers or whatever this is going to look like, that you are all on the same page with the way that you talk to the kids and the way that you, you know, treat the kids. And um, so for us, we do things like we make sure that everybody has the same snack. So there is no, oh, wait, you have this and I have that, or I don't have a snack today because we couldn't have one, right? So, I mean, there, there again, there's like t all of these tiny little pieces that make this work really well, um, or that it would end up, it could end up causing more problems if not addressed. Um, I would certainly end up saying, okay, so, you know, we have, we tried to redirect. We asked, like, we're working on a letter of the day. Like, she wasn't interested. We tried to redirect. And then, you know, you text mom or have a time where you can check in with mom or dad or, you know, who's ever the caregiver for this child to say, okay, look, I just want to let you know what was going on. Um, she did not, she was not engaged here, but she wanted to go play with Legos. She played with the Legos. She wasn't disrupting everybody else. So we let her play with Legos. You have that math lesson to do when you come home with her, right? So that the onus is not on the person there to try and force your child to do something that your child wasn't willing to do. Um, right. I mean, essentially what you're describing is all the things that happen in an in-person classroom, you now become responsible for. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, uh, parents and I, and I think probably over the last couple of months, um, parents are like, oh, okay, I, I see uh, <laughs> uh, what my child's teacher was talking about, right? It's a lot. <laughs> it's doing a lot more in the classroom than sharing information, imparting information, and making sure that your child is picking up on the information. They are managing behaviors, they're managing relationships, they're managing personalities, um, and they're trying to provide an equitable environment so that children don't feel left out, that everybody feels included. That's a lot of work. And mm -hmm. you're, and it takes a, a great deal of interpersonal skills 
um, to be able to do that well without yelling at the child, without cursing at the child, without punishing the child um, and, and their peers. And so you take that on when you are working one-on-one with your own child right? And when you're working even in a small group with other children. And so, um, yes, just be mindful of that, that um, there's a lot that happens in schools that we don't see. And that it's very easy to just kind of put it off like, all right, that's the teacher's problem. (laughs) They deal with that at school. Um, And when your child is at home, now this is something that you have to navigate with the child. So you have to be very clear about what your values are, Um, in terms of how you work with young people. And you also have to be very clear about your capacity to do this, right? Right. I know know, parents love their kids and they want their children to be educated, but there's a reason why they did not become teachers themselves, all right? So we have to be honest (laughs) with ourselves uh, about that. And definitely leverage the community if you feel like you're getting a little burnt out um, and this is becoming overwhelming. You should not have to send your child into an unsafe environment, but you also don't want to trade one unsafe environment for another. Um, so just getting on the page about with yourself and your family, but also the community that you bring into this enterprise um, with you. Um, so that was wonderful. I want to turn it over to questions now. Um, we will take uh, questions from the chat as well as any live questions that there are, as well as anybody that's on the call, if they have any resources that they would like to share, um, that would be great as well. But we do have a question um, or more like a, a, a comment from someone um, on the call right now. Uh, I'm just going to read it out loud and then we can um, respond to it. Um, hi, I had switched my oldest, oldest to homeschool in 2018. He started his 11th grade year. He just graduated from homeschool online. I still need more resources for him to continue on his education to college. However, I do have an eight-year-old that's attending NOLA Public Schools, but I need to decide if I will pull him, but he, but he will start off for virtual with NOLA Public Schools. So we have two um, mm-hmm. different age groups, someone that's in elementary school and someone that um, is... Um, in the 11th grade and has graduated from homeschool online. Their um, plan is to go to college, but if I'm reading this correctly, they need more resources to help with that transition. Um, And um, I guess with the younger um, sibling, um, they're just trying to decide what is better for that young person. Um, You know, starting virtually, coming out, being homeschooled, um, it's a lot. It's a lot to navigate. We'll start with this younger. This I'm sorry. This older um, person, because I uh, wonder about that for older folks as uh, older students as well. Like I said, when I had my homeschooling experience, I was in the 11th grade. Most people will flip out about that. They're like, "Oh my God, the 11th grade is really important before you go to college because that's your last complete year before you apply." Like, what are you doing, taking your kids out of the system at that time? But that's what we had to do, and it really didn't impact me negatively at all. You have experience working with your children independently and getting them into college. What would you say um, to a parent who's like, he's kind of done with school, but he still needs this like time to you know do more work before he goes to college how would you um respond to that right so i'm curious about the um the resources for him to continue his education is it that 
is a CT score or wasn't high enough to get into college? Was it that he was, he didn't have enough credits? And what online school did he graduate from? If you could clarify those things. I'm muted. Um, Mr. Jones, you're more than welcome to um, 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 Penn Foster Online. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason why I pulled him out, Nola Public School, because he was in the accommodation when um, one of the charters took over. Mm-hmm. With his ninth and tenth grade year, he did fine. Okay. Um, he is very, very antisocial. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that I have, you know, trying to find out exactly what he want to do. Um, moving forward, he said he want to go to college, but he needs to speak up for himself. Yeah. He's always mama, but even though he did the, um, Penn Foster, uh-huh. even though he did Penn Foster online, I know I told him that he could transfer to, you know, that he could apply to Delgado. Right. But Right now, he just kind of like trying to find his way. I'm going to just say that much. There I am. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to get the video. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, he is like, how would I say? He is very, very anti-social. But even though when I pulled him out, the um, public school, that one of the charter schools that took over in his, I'm going to say, in his 10th grade year, it was more or less like accommodations that he was supposed to be receiving. He did not receive them. And, of course, I kept you know going to the school, making sure that he get those accommodations, but they weren't being met. He had no behavior issues. Mm-hmm. He didn't talk to nobody or, you know, nothing in the school like talking about it. Okay, go down that TV, man. Hey. Okay, let's go down talk to the lady. <laughs> so... Meanwhile, I had when I took him out 2018, I um, put him in Liberty Kitchen to learn culinary arts. He learned that social, well, he learned it and he completed it. They say, oh, he did well, but really can't get him to talk too much. Okay, then he did grow that youth farm. He did that, but once again, I still wanted him to get the socialization and be around youth but he's still that socialization he has no friends i'm just be honest with you up to today you don't have no friends um then once he completed grow that then i sent him to la green court steam still meanwhile he just finished that 2019 he did that completed it again still not that social i said did you meet any friends from there no you talking to I talked to him while I was there. Mm-hmm. Completed that program, but he just finished the Penn Foster online um this is two weeks ago. So now he has signed up for Cafe Reconcile because this is something that he wanted to do before the pandemic. And I still want him to do something to where he could build that socialization skills up for himself. But I told him when he go to college, I can't always, you know, speak on his behalf. Mm-hmm. I said, you're getting older, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but right. 
He didn't start Cafe Reconcile. He been this is second week. Now the counselor wanna have a meeting with me one on one to ask what's his plans, I guess. Once he do cafe reconcile and moving forward, I guess getting mm-hmm. a job. Mm-hmm. But I'm a, it's, it's about his socialization skills. He really, really don't socialize. So okay, I, I do have to say that, and like some people don't, right? I mean, yeah. I'm just saying that clearly he needs to be able to communicate enough to function in life. That's but he doesn't. I mean, it may not be that he ever has like this, you know, like large network of friends or even somebody else that he feels like he he needs to go to. But clearly, right. You're, you're right in the sense that but you have to be able to. And it sounds like I mean, if he's doing all of these programs, he's communicating enough to let them know that he understands what they're what he's supposed to be doing that he cooks the food that he knows how to garden that he knows how to weed but he's so he, he's getting those things um but he comes and asks me um do you think i speak loud enough because they say i don't speak that loudly i say okay i say we have sometimes you could raise your voice and talk to us comfortably i say you could do the same mm-hmm. thing you know mm-hmm. um he did try to get a job. Mm-hmm. He did try to get a job. I'm going to say recently. That was in June. Mm-hmm. He lasts two days. Mm-hmm. Because he got the interview. I think it must have, he must have was shy. Or I think it could be that. Or he just wasn't just, I don't know. Right. I say two days. The man, I say, well, at least he gave you a fair chance to start. And I say, maybe you might have to just reevaluate your culinary art skills and some old customer service skills and most some um, you know to really um work around people you know right now has he applied to delgado no that's what i need to find out i called delgado recently and um i think i applied well i think i called the wrong department so he want to do a um have back HAC, he want to do that program or carpentry, but you know, because he had he did finish LA Green Corps, but he want to do the carpentry side, he don't want to do infrastructure, he don't want to do that, right? So, I would recommend, and, and honestly, with any of the universities and colleges right now. I mean, it's challenging because you have a lot of people who are working from home. They, and they're, you know, like students trying to get in right now. So um, I would certainly go online and see if they have any open office hours. Okay. And if so, go, I mean, go with, I would go with him. Well, I am. Right? You, and, know, you know, I am. Right? Exactly. And I would, you know, try and have him share as much of the information certainly be there to be his voice to say hey like we're we're looking at this this or this right but but try and push him to do as much of that as possible and see like he has he taken the act already not yet that's what i need to find out how can well since all this how he could you know do that right so if you go to act.org okay um you can go and they will let you know when the tests are um, so with Delgado, you might also be able to just go and take, um, there's like a, an acuplacer, which is the college entry test. Um, okay. You can ask them for those dates as well. They should also have a, um, 
a study guide for the AccuPlacer. So when you okay. go to Delgado, you can ask them to for a study guide, let him go over the study guide, take the, the placement test so he can get in and then start one of those programs. Wow, because the main uh, what the counselor at um, Cafe Reconcile, he just like um, he want to meet with me to see about what's his plans. He said because he don't understand all the um, programs he done been in and the certification that he do have. Why he don't have a job? And I already know it's that communication. <laughs> I can't wait to have that conversation with the counselor tomorrow. But <laughs> I'm like, and I, I felt that, you know, while it's slow right now, he could still take advantage of that free program, you know, to give him those skills mm -hmm. if he do work a little part-time job. Mm -hmm. and maybe, I don't want him to, how can I put it? He don't want to meet no anybody as his friend, trust me. He don't mm -hmm. trust anybody. He say, how the way they doing out there? He don't want no friends like that you understand so right now even just trying to connect him to the right people would be you know another good thing to do right but i appreciate y'all yeah. i just want to uplift your son and affirm him because he's done a lot <laughs> he sure uh, did first he navigated a transition while he was in high school which is difficult to do for anyone to do and he navigated that without receiving all of the support that he was entitled to um, right. i just want to uplift him and he's been through you know several programs and he's completing them and so he is very active and um just i did he did um even though even though he was at i'm sorry he was at magnane the okay. first year for the night before inspire nola took over mm -hmm. That ninth grade year, he did well, and the band director had his own academy band director, um, Mr. Carmouche, and he formed his own little band school, so that was a way for him to still participate and march to play the trombone for his 10th, 9th, 10th, and 11th, well, 11th grade, too. Yeah. And I also want to uplift and affirm you, because you are an awesome parent that is you know, really out here advocating for and connecting your child to all the things. Oh, yes. So I just want to uplift your family. I know that you have you have very high expectations. Um, oh, yes. Your children and um, it can be stressful navigating the system to make sure that, that they are entitled to. But I think that from what you're sharing, our awesome job I think that parents, you know, really hard on themselves sometimes. Correct, <laughs> um, correct. Yeah. And correct. to take a step back and just be like, wow, like I'm really out here killing it for me and my children now. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, please stay connected um, to open. Um, I'm going to put my email address. Well, I'm, fam I'm familiar with you because I went to um, NOLA Public Breakfast before. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm, I'm a former um, educator, you know, with, um, I'm going to say, career training at a career training school. Yeah. Now I had to I left where I was teaching at. And I moved back into the New Orleans public schools. Mm -hmm. Just doing an independent contractor with um, contracting with enriched schools now. Okay. Yep. Yep. I'm familiar with enriched. Um, 
So please stay connected um, and I can connect mm. to um, Ty and others. Um, you mentioned um, Delgado, you mentioned um, potentially taking the ACT. And so yes, we across folks who are connected to those other programs or assessments and um, we'll be happy to share resources your way. But also, you know, you're, you're, I think that what I'm hearing is you want your son to be a bit more independent and to advocate for himself. So, you know, let him bring him to the meeting and say, hey, the man got questions about your plan. Tell the man what your plan is. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I have to. My eight-year-old very, very different. Uh-huh. <laughs> He'll talk a good, you know, speech and everything for you. Right. You know? right. But I appreciate you all, you know, yeah. passing that on. And I'm glad I got, you know, was able to get on, you know, yeah. with you all. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Um, we have, we have a, a wonderful person on the call right now who is a wealth of resources and educator, Andrea Hurd, um, who does... The teacher, the teacher, a teacher educator, teacher uh, advocate, like doing all the things. And um, you have a great resource for folks who want to be involved in distance learning uh, this year. Close the door. Care about it. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hey, Ty. Hi, Mrs. Hey. Jones. Hey, Nalia. So good to see you guys all the time. Um, yes, I um, am a parent uh, first, um, and I'm also an educator as well, and um, I'm just really happy to see everybody. <laughs> everybody's trying to work, and everybody's trying to do their part, and um, I did. I started um, an initiative. I decided because um, I'm, I'm solely working at um, Southern University now because I have my days that are kind of my own and I'm working more so in the evening that I would try to offer two days of a distance learning uh, community school or distance learning cooperative for students um, between the ages of uh, eighth grade and 12th grade. Um, And um, I've decided I've gotten a a space. Um, I partnered with with the space and I decided that I was going to take 12 students um, and just support working parents Um, who would be able to drop their kids off in the morning and then leave them there on Tuesdays and Thursdays to give them a break and then to support their students in finishing their work. And um, of course, they bring their computers. um, And I have a a space where I have really good um, Wi-Fi connections that I know of so far. um, And just to help them um, get themselves organized and to make sure that they were attending each one of their classes and just making sure that they were understanding their work and if they needed support within each one of those um, those different courses, that I would be there. And so, of course, we still have a lot of different things going on because we're not sure if the students are going to have pre-recorded lessons or if they have to be there live all day. I'm still waiting for news as far as that. But the idea of it is to give each one of those 12 students or as many as I get some personalized attention towards their virtual distance learning, this new learning that they're doing. And a lot of it is because I have my own son who is going to be a sophomore this year. A lot of what I remember from um, from last year is that there's a, a lot of different messages going on with the teachers and the times and we we're supposed to have a Zoom meeting at this time and then it got canceled. And so this year I'm expecting it to be um, somewhat different, um, you know, a little bit more organized, but helping the children keep up with all of these different times and who wants what and what time I have to get on was a task within itself. And so if I could um, help students one-on-one to, um, to have that done, 
but then also help parents because parents, I do have some parents who are still at work and they can't help you, baby. They can't help you when they're at their computer and you're at your computer at the same time. Um, so if I, I just wanted to give some support to, to both of those, uh, the parent and the student in a safe space where it was small um, and uh, we could still get some, some, some learning um, going. And so wait a minute, y'all, because y'all know, you know, we all mamas. Hold on one second. Son. <laughs> um, so, so just giving, just, just giving the support and offering the support to the community where I can, um, I am, I consider it to be, um, a resource. I can only do 12 children though. You know, we, I don't want to, you don't want to take too many. Um, and I wanted to do the eight through 12 because there's also a, um, a, a high school programming component to it. So Ms. Jones, I know you were talking about your son and you were talking about, um, him actually being involved in, um, the different programs, the culinary, and then trying to get involved in Delgado. I'm so excited because he already kind of knows what he's interested in. And so a part of my high school program is to um, to bring outside people inside of the space and just to introduce them to different professions. Um, so I have a friend of mine who's a CPA. I have a friend of mine who's a pharmacist. I have, a, a, you know, several different fields that I wanted to introduce, introduce the children to. Um, just as simple as them learning how to fill out tax forms when they do get jobs. Um, and so just giving them another, um, another piece of something to do outside of them, like we say, sitting in front of the screens and just uh, doing this work, but just thinking about like, if you're between the ages of eighth grade to 12th grade, we're thinking about what you want to do next. And we don't want to think about that when we get to be seniors. We want to be thinking about that or being introduced to some options um, before we're finished. And so I just wanted to add that component to it to, um, to make it fun, but to also make it relative to their actual lives. And so that's what I have going on um, here. That sounds wonderful. Um, do you have any spots for any additional families to join or is, are you full? No, I'm actually not full. My Tuesdays and Thursdays are not full um, at all. I have two students so far. Um, and like I said, I have 12. So I have 10 s spots um, left. And I think people were, I think people are kind of waiting it out um, to see, you know, like, will I be able to do this on my own? Or is school really going to open up? Um, are the numbers going to go down? Because we're saying now we're going to do after Labor Day. And so that's what I'm thinking is, is happening. And also, um, you know, with my parents who um, were receiving unemployment, um, that stopped. You know, it hasn't stopped, but the the extra, um, the extra six hundred of it has has stopped. And so, you know, people are outweighing what's going on um, with their pockets, and I definitely understand. Um, so, yeah, but I do, I do, I still have spots available. All right. Well, I am going to pump it. You know me. I'll throw that in a <laughs> quick, fast, and in a hurry. And I, you know, I don't want to minimize anybody's experience and, you know, and act like this has not been a pandemic on multiple fronts, right? There's the health piece. There's the financial piece. There is the uncertainty of, you know, being engaged in your job or your profession, there's the housing piece, right? We're stepping into a housing crisis. Um, well, we already had a housing crisis and now more people are being added to that. So I don't want to dismiss any of that. That's very real. And then on top of that, managing your mental health 
um, while you're trying to take care of yourself and the family and all of this. But I will say this, and I say this because this is from my own personal experience in my family, where we've had many, we've had many times where we just really had to like start over. And when I say start over, I mean everything gone start over. And what I've learned from that, my brothers and I, we talk about this now, is that when something is gone, it, that provides an opportunity to create something new. It's an opportunity for you to really rethink and just really recreate your world, right? Um, you know, what you were doing before, that's what you were doing before. And there's an opportunity for you to do something bigger and wilder and more courageous than you could have ever imagined. Because what do you have to lose when you've lost it all? And so, you know, out of five days now, you have someone saying, I got two of those days, sis. I got two of those days for you. This is a certified, educated, you know, college level professor saying, I can be with, I can be working with your kid two days out of the week. And that's not what was happening before. <laughs> right. How many people in front of, did you have in front of your child when they were going to school was a person who taught teachers how to teach? <laughs> <laughs> and was putting CPAs and, you know, all of these professionals in front of your child. So, yes, this is, this is hard, but it's also an opportunity for you to create something new and beautiful for your child that you probably couldn't have imagined before. So I want, to, I want parents to step into that um, and, and just kind of, like, reclaim, like, their power in all of this. This is not something that's just happening to you. This is something that you can seize and turn it into something really beautiful for your children. Um, and that's why we're doing this. And that's why uh, Ty and I got on this. And why we'll be talking again about homeschooling and pods on Thursday. Um, and so if you're interested in to know, um, you know, what an independent schooling option is completely outside of the public school system, join us on Thursday. We'll be diving deeper into that. You can do this. Ty, six kids. College, <laughs> all the stages, K through college, like you can do this. Um, and you don't have to be independently wealthy. Um, you don't have to be rich. Um, you don't have to have a master's or a PhD yourself. Um, you can just be courageous and caring. And I find that most parents are. So you already have what you need right there. And you need a community, and we'll be more than happy to connect you to um, the formations that are happening right now across the city. I am also aware of another formation that's happening right now. Um, if you're interested in, in joining a community pod, I do have um, connect on that. They're looking for a couple more families. Um, and so please email me separately and I'll share that information with you um, as well to see if that would be a, a good fit for you. But yeah, um, let's, Let's seize this opportunity as a gift um, and let's create something new and beautiful for our children. So I'm going to leave it on that. Ty, do you have any parting words uh, for us before we sign out? Um, just, again, take a deep breath and, and give yourself the, the grace that you need um, and, and trust that you are going to make the, the best decision for your child that you can with the information that you have. 
you can't do anything more than that, right? So use this time to gather up all of these pieces, make the, the best decision that you can right now, and know that it, it's not set in stone, right? So you can try this out, and if the virtual or distance option isn't working for you, then you can pivot and you can try something else. Um, so just allow yourself to do that. And honestly, just have like really open conversations with your kids about where you are and, and where you're navigating um, to, to really help them to, to meet that their needs um, and exceed your expectations for this time in their life. Right. Well, on that note, we are going to sign out. Thank you for everyone who has joined this call. Um, we will uh, post it so that more people can listen to it. Um, thank you for joining. Um, thank you for being courageous with us. And we are here as a resource to make sure that whether it's inside of the school building or in your living room, your child gets the education that they deserve. So I'm Nalia Weber, Executive Director of the Orleans Public Education Network, signing out. And uh, let's get it. <laughs>